Maura Reynolds remembers talking to Chechen war survivors from the 1990s to the early 2000s. And as she talked to them about surviving Russian attacks on Chechnya, one word kept coming up. The word they would use over and over again was kashmar, you know, nightmare. Um, But that's trivial compared to what they really experienced. More than two decades before the current war in Ukraine, Russia launched its second war in Chechnya, a majority Muslim republic that is now part of Russia. Reynolds was the LA Times Moscow correspondent back then. At the time, Boris Yeltsin was Russia's president, and Vladimir Putin was prime minister. She remembers them characterizing the mission in Chechnya as a campaign to stamp out, quote, bandits and terrorists. It was a chorus, bandits and terrorists, just like you hear Russian officials, including Putin now, talk about, you know, Nazis. David Filipov covered the Chechen wars for the Boston Globe. He was in Grozny, the Chechen capital, when Russia's offensive began in 1999. And he remembers that in both Chechen wars, there were widespread, apparently targeted attacks on civilians. Everybody in the area is now part of the war. There is no safe zone. And then it's anything goes. Maura Reynolds says after the fighting ended, very little was left of Grozny. The ground was literally charred. There were very few buildings in the center of Grozny still standing. The remains of a wall here and there and not much else. All the trees were burned, you know, had lost all their branches and leaves. Even though it was spring, there was no green, there was no sign of life. Both reporters are following the news now out of Ukraine and all of it, the visuals, the Russian rhetoric and the tactics, it all feels grimly familiar. I think anyone who visited Chechnya during or after either war is having flashbacks when we look at the pictures right now of what's happening. And today, the same region that was once defending itself against Russia is now actually backing Russia, all under the leadership of a man sometimes described as Vladimir Putin's puppet. Kadyrov is Putin's most loyal and most enthusiastic subordinate. Having said that, it, it, is, it is a very complicated relationship. Consider this. The Chechen military is now fighting alongside Russian troops in Ukraine. How did this republic go from resisting Russia less than a generation ago to fighting for Russia? From NPR, I'm Ari Shapiro. It's Monday, April 25th. This message comes from NPR sponsor Sattva, the comfort company. Sattva luxury mattresses are sold online and priced at about 50% less than mattress stores. Visit SAATVA.com slash NPR today and save an additional $200. It's Consider This from NPR. About a million and a half people live in the Muslim-majority Republic of Chechnya. They have seen many bloody wars, two of which happened at the hands of Russian forces. Russia invaded and unleashed a relentless bombing campaign during the two Chechen wars, reducing major cities and towns to rubble. During the second campaign, Ramzan Kadyrov became head of the Chechen Republic. He is a top ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin, and we'll hear more on Kadyrov in a moment. But first, the wars that played out in Kadyrov's home country may tell us what we can expect to see as the current war plays out in Ukraine. NPR's Greg Myrie reported from Chechnya during the 1990s, and he recently spoke to my colleague David Folkenflik about the parallels between these conflicts. 
It's been a few years. Remind us, how did that first Chechen war begin? So Chechnya is this tiny Muslim republic in southern Russia, and it began agitating for independence after the Soviet Union broke up. So Russia then invades in 1994 with relentless airstrikes and artillery, tens of thousands of civilian deaths, completely flattening Chechnya's capital, Grozny. Now, David, I've covered a dozen or so wars. This is the greatest devastation I've ever seen, just block after city block every building completely destroyed. The only sort of point of comparison are those black and white photos of European cities leveled in World War II. So after two years of this in Chechnya, Russia actually lost. It pulled its army out of Chechnya, granted autonomy, and it was a huge humiliation for Russia's military. We should note that this war and that infliction of damage uh, was done before Vladimir Putin came to power in 1999. What happened when he took over? Right. So President Boris Yeltsin was still in charge of Russia, but he was about to leave office. And he named this largely unknown figure, Vladimir Putin, to be the prime minister on August 9th, 1999. And then just 17 days later, on August 26th, Russia reinvades Chechnya, unleashing another major bombing campaign. Now, it was equally brutal and ultimately more effective. Russia took control after a few months. And then Putin flew into Grozny in a Russian fighter jet wearing a full pilot outfit, and he climbed out of the cockpit in a symbol of triumph. Putin installed a friendly leader in Chechnya. Now, he was assassinated a few years later, but his son still leads Chechnya today, and Chechen troops are fighting with the Russian military in the war in Ukraine. What then should we take from these Chechen wars as we think about Ukraine right now? So I called Thomas DeWall. He was a journalist covering Chechnya in the 90s. He's now in London with the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He sees military parallels between Chechnya and Ukraine and also political parallels. There was a project which was to restore Chechnya to Russian control. Nowadays in 2022, to restore Ukraine to the Russian sphere of influence. And there was no plan B. Once the people started resisting, which came as a surprise in Chechnya and is coming as a surprise in Ukraine, there's no political plan B about what to do with the resistance. Now, he says Putin was expecting or at least hoping to invade with little or no pushback. The model was that sort of bloodless Russian conquest in Crimea in 2014. But what he got was Chechnya 1994. Crimea, of course, is part of Ukraine. Why was it such a cakewalk for the Russians? The Russians really just snuck in. Everybody was talking about these little green men. They didn't even know where they were from because they had no insignias on their uniform. And they quickly took over Crimea, where Russia already has a naval base. And there was really no shooting, no fighting. And that's what Putin was hoping for again. NPR's Greg Myrie speaking with our colleague David Fulkenfleck. Yeah. That's the voice of the Chechen Republic's leader, Ramzan Kadyrov, in a video posted the day after Russia invaded Ukraine. Kadyrov is prolific on social media. He published this highly produced video showing thousands of armed fighters in combat gear. He says, I officially declare that Chechen fighters will occupy the hottest hot spots in Ukraine. He taunts the Ukrainian defense, inviting them to meet his troops. He's been described as brutal, as Vladimir Putin's attack dog. 
The U.S. has sanctioned him for human rights abuses, including the persecution and torture of LGBTQ people. To better understand who Ramzan Kadyrov is and what role he and his troops are playing in the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war, I spoke to Rachel Denver. She's deputy director of the Europe and Central Asia Division for Human Rights Watch. And I started by asking how Kadyrov has earned his reputation. Kadyrov earned this reputation through his absolutely brutal and feudalistic type tight hold grip over uh, Chechnya, where he has been the leader basically uh, since the assassination of his father, who was the leader of Chechnya uh, in 2004. He exercises total control over all public and uh, he tries to exert uh, control over uh, aspects of private life as well uh, through his fearsome uh, security services. Uh, These security services are responsible for great numbers of enforced disappearances, summary executions, house burning. Uh, These days, uh, Kadyrov exercises control through his brutal uh, sort of um, Praetorian Guard and also through extensive um, surveillance of online chat groups and the like also by filtering out people who are believed to even express even the most mild criticism of him or uh, government policies. And can you paint a picture for us of the man himself? I mean, you've described a really iron-fisted rule, but the man himself, Ramzan, is almost a larger-than-life figure. He has developed a cult around himself. Uh, for, for a number of years, he was quite active on Instagram where he uh, allowed himself to say the most outrageous, uh, flamboyant and inflammatory things. Uh, he, Like I said, he, he's the son of the first Chechen leader. After his father was assassinated, he was uh, famously sort of uh, brought to Moscow for a meeting with Putin. Um, he sees Putin as kind of his, his patron. Um, but I think it's also a complicated relationship because, uh, you know, the Kremlin believes that Ramzan keeps a lid on any kind of dissent through these absolutely brutal methods of enforced disappearance, killings and, and the like, torture, uh, quelled uh, the Islamist insurgency that had, you know, that had continued after the Second Chechen War had ended. Um, so I think that the, you know, the Kremlin for, you know, felt that Ramzan kept the lid on insurgency, so Ramzan pretty much has a carte blanche to do whatever he wants. But what might surprise people here is that Ramzan's father was at one point fighting against the Russians and was considered a Chechen nationalist. And so how did leadership go from trying to fight for independence to fighting on Russia's behalf against Ukraine? Well, that's right. Um, Ramzan's father, Ahmad Kadyrov, was aligned with the anti-Russian forces in Chechnya and uh, eventually was uh, changed sides. And when Papa changed sides, obviously Ramzan changed sides. Um, and they they tied their fate to the Kremlin. Um, for what reasons? I know it's it's really hard to say. They, they acquired a tremendous power in Chechnya by, by doing so. And so when you look at the role of Chechen forces, who are actually known as Kadyrovsky, they're that loyal to the leader, when you look at their role in Ukraine, is this simply doing a favor for a patron, Vladimir Putin, or is there more going on here? I think that it's showing their power, because if they throw their force behind Russia's forces in Ukraine, then they're owed something, aren't they? 
Um, but it's also, I think it's also important to underscore that Kadyrov is Putin's most loyal and most enthusiastic subordinate. Um, having said that, it, it is it is a very complicated relationship because I think that there are many in the security services who are not great fans of Ramzan Kadyrov, but they tolerate him because they know that because Kadyrov keeps uh, has total control over the you know his own security services and the like in Chechnya. If they remove him, who knows what he might do? He's been very active on social media. Kadyrov has been tweeting a lot during this war. He engaged with Elon Musk. His posts often get more than a million views. What does his online presence during the war in Ukraine tell you about how he's approaching leading his forces and his role in this conflict? Oh, I think he's in it for self-promotion. I think he wants to be as visible as possible uh, as the, the the biggest cheerleader to really for self-aggrandizement. You, know, you, you self-aggrandize so that the boss notices you, um, but you also self-aggrandize, you know, so the, the local folks also notice, you know, see you in a particular way. That is Rachel Denver, Deputy Director of the Europe and Central Asia Division for Human Rights Watch. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you so much. Earlier in this episode, you heard reporting from NPR's Sarah McCammon and Connor Donovan. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Ari Shapiro.